State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Christopher Hawk, EMEA Managing Director at Lodemy, about the state of private data exchanges. Lodemy is the world's leading unstacked data solutions company, helping partners, marketers, and agencies find new customers, increase engagement, and grow revenue through audience data. Let's begin. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, you were mentioning just before we started talking that you were traveling quite a bit. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of, yeah, it's conference season as well. So I'm sure there's a lot happening from your end as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I look after Europe and the Middle East for loads of me. So, you know, we're, we're, we're very much uh, hands-on with our customers. So, you know, we, we travel across our customer base um, as well as uh, conferences and other areas where we can, we can add value. That sounds good. We'll definitely delve into more of your responsibilities and roles and how Middle East and the Africa regions differ. But before we start with that, I'd love you just to give an introduction about the Tame and, and yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I um, set up Low Tame's European business about six years ago. Um, I look after Europe and the Middle East for uh, Low Tame. Um, my background is from the publisher side. Um, I worked with titles in the past, like the Independent News Group, uh, France Telecom, across Wanadu Orange, and uh, publisher networks. Unanimous in my later time at that business, I've been involved with Lotomy for about eight years. As I say, six from working within Lotomy and establishing them in Europe, but two years of being Lotomy's first client in Europe as well with with France Telecom Group. How did you make that transition? Like, what did you make? What did made you say, "I want to jump over to"? the MarTech side and really help publishers instead of being working for a publisher? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good question. And um, the, the areas I always worked in was um, you know, operations and technology. I, I worked in a lot of buying technology, reviewing technology, and actually implementing that bit into our business for commercial value, um, all the way through from the selection process through to actually managing teams to deploy that and train uh, the individuals in the organization, whether that's from a sales perspective or from an operational perspective. So I've always been very close to technology, um, especially technology around uh, ad tech and martech. And it was something that always interested me. And it was just a natural evolution to, uh, you know, move from buying technology to move to working for a technology and running a technology and selling a technology. Um, so it was a natural step. Yeah, because you, you know that once you've sort of helped the publisher you're working for, then you can essentially help across a broader range and and obviously you saw the market challenges and and um struggles that they're having so no, i think that makes that that makes total sense so you know i've lived what our customers you know lived in the in the very early days of um low to me you know I, i'd been there i sat in the same seat as my customers had in terms of building a strategy around data and how to use data in a you know in, in on a daily basis in our business to to drive insight and to, to drive revenue. Um, you know, that, that, that's what we're here really to do is drive revenue for our businesses. Definitely. Lotome is a data solutions business. Um, we've been in existence for 13 years. Um, so very experienced at what we do. 
we have two core verticals really. Um, one is our technology. Um, our technology is applied by uh, premium publishers, uh, agencies and brands to collect, organize, activate and analyze their first party data assets. Um, we have a number of tools to help our customers do that. Um, we also have a global data exchange. Um, we sit on about 4.5 billion devices globally. Um, with, a, with about 600 million across, uh, across the European regions. And really that data exchange is uh, available for our customers to uh, enrich and extend their own audience to get additional insights um, into what their customers are doing on the internet. Nice, and, and, and that data is anonymized. So obviously it's not gonna, it's, just gonna, it's there just to provide a bit more demographic information and I guess any other um, sort of acquisition and engagement information that's going to be helpful for their campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we don't collect any personal data. The, the data that we operate on is done at device level. Um, so we overlay those data sets onto our customer's own inventory that gives them a, a more in-depth, not only from demographics, but also from interest-based and, and, you know, kind of purchase attend, intent. Yeah. And like you were saying before, you're responsible for both the Europe and the sort of Africa region. How, how do you find the current differences? I know, you know, we've, we've all heard about GDPR and then how big of a difference that, that the shift has been made in Europe. But how do you find the difference now with Europe and Africa and what do you see the opportunities there at the moment? Yeah, and I, I guess the, the difference between Europe, um, well, I guess you've got, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I, yep. I think that at different stages in their journey, and um, you know, I don't like to use the word intelligence because they're all all intelligent and all have their strategies. But just where the market maturity is, you know, I, I would see Europe. Um, you know, they're they're going into very different stages of how they manage that data, and you know, legislation and privacy um, is a big part of um, you know how businesses in Europe need to operate and actually get more out of that out of their data sets but in a privacy compliant way um, I would say the Middle East um, you know has is as mature as a market now they the last few years you know the publishers are really starting to utilize their their data assets I'd say out in the, in the African markets there's big differences you know it's a majority of a mobile first ecosystem but we're now seeing publishers um, within those regions starting to collect their data, starting to get more out of their, their data assets. And, um, you know, I, I see that gap becoming smaller in terms of uh, what, what businesses are doing out there as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke with Sean Mayer, who's from Video Elephant the other weekend. He was also speaking about how Africa is just sort of booming at the moment. And like you said, because of mobile first, they, I guess because they didn't have the infrastructure there and, and the automatically people, uh, the mobile carriers and the data is getting better there than, it's providing a new sort of framework and structure for them as opposed to uh, Europe, which is historically relied on other other ways to capture that data. Um, but it's interesting to hear that, that you've also said that as well. So, Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think just the whole economy in terms of um, advertising um, is strengthened. You know, when, when there's revenue there, um, you, you see large jumps in terms of sophistication and, um, you know, data and how actually they're creating insights on that data to, to attract those revenues. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big part of where a market starts to mature. And how much 
uh, is your team involved in in the online offline integration and um, particularly with publishers, do they do much cross sort of channel omni-channel approach? Yeah, absolutely. Omni-channel across our customer base is is a very large thing, and I, I think the number of platforms and technologies and different use cases um, that publishers are, are adopting today. I think you know publishers are brands in their own right, um, yeah. and we're seeing a, a, coll a collision in the middle of um, you know what 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 publishers want to do and what brands want to do. You know, publishers. Um, are very important selling subscriptions and, and other products now around their brand. Uh, and then you've got brands and stuff want creating more content. So the use cases are starting to, to collide in the middle. And, and I think, you know, part of, um, you know, the PDX stuff, which we're going to talk about a bit later, is how can we actually we make both assets work harder? Um, but fundamentally, what we're trying to do, you know, is make, make brands' advertising budget um, go further. Um, across both the supply and the demand side. Absolutely. And and how how are you how are you finding your role now in terms of trying to a not only target those uh, sorry help with publishers in those three areas but also with looking ahead with trying to um, get as much helping as much publishers as possible. Like how how do you you said that one of the things that you do is do a lot of education and traveling to to those publishers directly. How do you find that balance, and and how do you how are you seeing everything with the efforts that you're putting so far with those three markets? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, you know, go go back uh, three four years. Um, you know, publishers were you know utilizing data mainly for programmatic advertising. How can they actually get more value out of their inventory? Uh, I think today, you know, we're we're seeing a lot more sophisticated use cases where um, publishers are really actually digging into their data. Um, you know, publishers are employing data engineers and data scientists um, to actually look into that data. What does a visit to my automotive section actually mean? Does does that mean someone's just interested in cars, or does that mean they're in market? How can we bring all of those data together and actually analyze the different flows and uh, bring in seed data from the brands, for instance, you know, bring in automotive uh, test drive requests and really try and find those users across their inventory. And it might actually not be the people that are looking at the automotive content um, that are actually in market for cars. So they're looking for those signals. How can we actually look at signals and derive an outcome from those signals from a known data set? And publishers are really invested now, working more closely with their brands to actually use both sets of data to be able to drive that outcome. Where before it was very much around behavioral and you know, there was a lot of assumption around, okay, if people are looking at uh, car content, there's an interest in automotive. Um, you know, does that necessarily um, drive out actually a, a, car, a sale of a car or a booking a test drive, uh, uh, et cetera? So I think the market has come on a lot in terms of investing in the right resources, having very different um, set of skills and capabilities now at publishers and how they're deep diving into that data. Um, and especially also for their own uh, marketing purposes, you know, it's very important to publishers today to actually drive subscription models. And they're using the tactics that they've been helping their brands with to actually drive their own, uh, their own product sales. Absolutely. I guess you, now we're speaking more about given the current situation and state of play. I, I noticed as well that you guys, Lotomi, have many data integrations 
Um, so working with the likes of Live Ramp for onboarding and and you know with other partners for various other pieces. Do you think the fact that um, you have been able to have that, that integration with those partners has allowed publishers to, to look at more sophisticated uh, data management strategies and um, and sort of using that to create um, you know more sophisticated campaigns or what do you think how do you think we've come to the point essentially that we've come today yeah well it's always been important to Lotone um, to help our customers with data portability uh, and that's not only bringing data into the platform that's also taking data out to the platform wherever they want to actually run those um, run their marketing and their campaigns so having um, an ecosystem that is independent that is open you know, we work with our competitor sets on, on behalf of our customers. You know, we've very much been at the forefront of, okay, look, we're, we're working on behalf of your business. And if you need data from, um, you know, from vendor A or you need capabilities from vendor B, then, you know, it's our responsibility as being, being one of your partners is to help enable that. So I actually think being able to bring in different data sets from different sources now, you know, that, that, that could be, as you mentioned, uh, data like from LiveRamp, whether that's uh, using LiveRamp for onboarding their CRM records, so their offline data, whether that's um, working with uh, a competitor DMP to bring in brands data into the platform for the publishers. So I, I think we moved into an era where, you know, the data that publishers and that are managing, you know, they're, they're really thinking about the strategy around that. What's going to make the difference? How can I get the edge on the market and deliver the most value back to the customers? Um, and that does mean working with partners and it does mean getting different data sources in and it does mean using different technical capabilities to be able to use online and off, offline data. Sure. And, and I'm assuming as well, um, have you found that there's a difference with enterprise? Like, was it more them coming to you guys for outsourcing outsourcing an operation like how do you find the difference between the small publishers and the large publishers play play out and what their need states are yeah that's uh, that, that's a great question and I, and i think the biggest difference between smaller and larger publishers is the resources they they have available yeah um so with smaller publishers as obviously they have to make their time their, their time count so they, they will generally focus on, um, you know, one or two real core initiatives for, for their business. I also find, you know, depending on, on that smaller publisher, they have to make every, every, um, every dollar count. So again, they're really looking to focus down and um, what's going to make the biggest difference um, to their business. Larger publishers also do the same. However, larger publishers generally have a little bit more scope to trial different things and, uh, look at different strategies to to continue to actually drive their portfolio of products that they can offer to the market. You generally, as I say, you generally find larger publishers will, will have more more resource. But it also comes down to the brand as well. Um, you know, we we've seen probably over the years that smaller publishers and smaller businesses they 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 will really you know they they need to actually be cutting edge as well to offer um, you know something different to the market as well um, in general because they don't they can't rely on that scale thing so uh, a lot of smaller publishers really you know focus in on on their their brand and how that brand interacts with their customers and, and why do they have that that niche following in, in the market and how do they play to those strengths 
um, and using data to do that is, is, is one capability where they can really have those one-on-one -on -one conversations um, with their customers, um, you know, who are very brand loyal to them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, with the launch of, let's, I'd love to just delve into the recent product launch that you, you had with Lotomy PDX. So I know you mentioned briefly before how it's, it's about making it more transparent and, and bringing a lot more data together. But can you elaborate a bit more about why there was a big announcement around that launch and, and what you guys are aiming to do with the, the current offering with Lotomy PDX? Yeah, absolutely. So Lotomy PDX is Lotomy's private data exchange. Um, as I mentioned um, earlier on in the interview, um, Lotomy operates on the technology side and, and the third-party data side. Yeah. And I think what we've seen probably the last um, year to 18 months is the, the notion of second-party data growing. And I think that's grown for a number of reasons. I, I think if you go back, you know, they content owners and uh, organizations with, with data were a little bit more protective around that. And I think that come also a little bit around, you know, not 100% knowing how they can actually monetize those assets to most efficiencies. But what we've, um, what we've seen is a bit of a market, market change. Um, one, I think it also comes around um, legislation and privacy, I think is drove a little bit more focus on uh, second party data. But two, I also think, um, you know, in today's ecosystem, publishers are actually now seeing their data as equal value as to their inventory, where in the past, um, you know, you, publishers were reluctant to trade data without, without the inventory being as part of it. But I think now publishers are seeing that on, on more of an equal asset, if not, in some cases, more, more of a more valuable asset. So, and with brands, although I, I think there's there's still a space for third-party data, and there always will be, because third-party data brings scale. Um, but I think brands are also looking for that edge over their competitive set. So going into acquiring data uh, that's customized, um, and, and in some cases, exclusivity around certain data sets, it allows them to get that edge, but it also gives those brands a little bit more confident that, okay, if I'm dealing with a premium publisher, I'm one step away from the consent string, um, so that data is a lot more transparent. There's a lot more com confidence around that the data has the right privacy consent attached to it um, because it's not going through many different organizations. They're going direct. So what we've kind of enabled to, to help this ecosystem is a technology that protects the flow of that data, but also helps our customers be able to invoice reports um, and trade that data. Um, it's very much about, you know, relationships. It's about one-on-one -on -one communications, like, you know, going back how media used to be traded, um, where the publishers, content owners, data owners are getting a fair price for that data, and the brands are getting good value for that data and paying a little bit more because they have those reassurances around the transparency and, and the origin of that data, but also they're getting something that's a little bit more customized that their competitors don't have because they've done a, you know, a customized segment off the back of the data that they're actually looking for that's going to support, to support this campaign. Um, we've really seen that drive uh, uplift, um, you know, as I say, last year to 18 months. You know, we've, we've seen four or five times uh, the amount of data now being traded as second-party data um, than previously. So, so just to be clear as well, with second-party data, that's pretty much any first-party data that's anonymized, or how do you, how do you define second-party data? Well, 
is how you do do you do define anomalies? You know, it's still done majority as the as device level, so personal yeah. personal information is not being bought in. But in terms of you know where third party data is generally aggregated um, from multiple sources, you know the the brands are, are going to um, going to source where. Where it where it is a little, it is more transparent. You know, they they know the brand that they're buying it, and they know the publisher, and the content owner that they're buying. It. They know the um, environment it's been collected from, and they know the quality of the uh, content that's deriving the data um, is transparent. So they they're buying it at source. That makes sense. What what have you noticed more? You said that there was a great significant data, which which is clear. But I'm I'm curious to share with our audience as well. The types of second-party data that people have been interested in, in acquiring, and maybe comparing that across different industries and how that's differing. Yeah, that's that, that that's a good question. And obviously, second-party data comes in very different flavors. The same as third-party data. As, as I say, you know, second-party data is generally someone someone's first-party data, one step removed. Um, you know, there's still the core verticals, um, you know, there's travel, automotive, um, you know, et cetera, finance. Uh, but then, we, you know, we're seeing some also some very interesting trends. So, you know, a brand sponsoring a large sporting event or a music festival or something are going to, you know, publishers and, and buying very specific data sets around, around that topic. For instance, you know, um, an alcohol, al alcohol brand sponsoring, say, the Rugby World Cup, going to publishers that are spending, um, you know, a lot of effort and actually reporting against those um, those sporting events and actually bringing in those custom data of audiences that are interested in the sport um, and are actually engaged in that sport and the current time. Um, so we're seeing stuff like that. We're also seeing brands probably more like comparison sites or or brands that traditionally would be travel aggregators in terms of, you know, bringing together hotels and flights and stuff and also using that data to come out um, and, and use that on advertising. On, on the publisher side as well, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing different variants of trends on, you know, what, what they will trade and won't trade. You know, as I mentioned, it's very much in the publisher's control who they sell that data for and what the application of that data is. For instance, where you know you, you could get a, a publisher that's very strong in display advertising, but they don't run any video. So it's a good revenue stream for a publisher to actually sell that data into video, in, into video products and brands that are looking to run video advertising elsewhere on the internet. It's a good way for a publisher to actually gain additional revenue in formats that they're not particularly strong at, or um, you know, uh, verticals that they're not covering, for instance. Thank you for clarifying, and that I think that's some, even some of the use cases that you've outlined, it's pretty useful. Have you found that there's been any other uses of um, second-party data with aggregated content? So there might be, sorry, I know, sorry, I know you, we were speaking about travel aggregators, but how about if for more publishers that are relying on curation, and particularly for newer publishers, uh, because they might not have the resourcing, have you seen... Um, the use of second-party data with aggregated content. Have, they, have you seen success with that? Or do public yeah. do um, sponsors or advertisers still rely on a quality audience with the quality, uh, yeah, with the quality audience from that publisher? Does that make sense? Yeah, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We have seen seen that. So, you know, we, we spoke a lot about how brands come to publishers to buy buy that data for their brand advertising. But we've all, we also see publishers um, cooperating between each other to, you know, a brand comes and it's very sort of loyal to, you know, they want to, to run their inventory across a certain publisher, but they also want that to be targeted within that publisher. So we've seen publishers kind of um, reach out and work together, publishers strong in, in travel, um, you know, lending data into, in, into more of a, a generalized publisher to be able to attract, you know, tourism, board revenue, et cetera. So again, publishers working together to actually retain revenue. So the brand, you know, will advertise in the environment they want, but with the data that they want from, from a different publisher. So we've seen a lot of that starting to happen as well. Um, if I'm honest, that was probably some of the first use cases we see where publishers were more open to actually working with other publishers if they're if the crossover of their um content um is is non-competitive um well, that, so we've seen use cases there as well well that's that's very interesting that you note that because you know i'm sure you've heard across the news how a lot of publishers are merging together or even like they're working together in order to survive so actually i mean actually seeing that it's just a sign of uh, what how successful publishers could then in their own right go and become successful do you think that um that's going to be a continuing trend and do you think that's still going to be like the, the um publishers versus platforms you know like google facebook sort of struggle or what do you think about the overall consensus around trying to leverage third-party platforms like facebook and you know google to be able to deliver effective campaigns yeah well i i think it's a must for publishers to to combine in strength um to you know to 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 compete with the duopoly um we you know we've, we've seen this for a while you know we've been working with publisher consortiums uh globally um um for for a number of time um you know probably one that one that springs to mind you know we work with the ozone project which is uh four of the leading uk um, publishing houses now working together um, to actually combine assets to to compete on the scale really, and also the amount of information that can exist between between those different uh, di digital publishers. Um, you know, in the past with clients like MediaForce, where they brought together um, the One Excel sort of uh, local regional newspaper consortium, um, where they're selling regional um, titles, but on a on a national level. Um, by combining those different titles from different regions, uh, so we definitely see that as um, you know something that you know that that has been happening a while. Something that we're seeing happening a lot more. Um, and from you know from from our experience in working with those, those organisations, um, you know we, we we think it's smart that 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 they're coming together and you know they're. I you know, don't like to use the word ring fencing because. You know, creating many more walled gardens. I just think, in general, is not not a good thing for the industry. But actually, the cooperation between those those publishers that were once, you know, fighting for the same sort of revenues, actually combining their assets to um, to get more, to get you know, to generate more revenue, more data um, by working in cooperation with each other. Um, I think is highly important, and I and I think we'll continue to see that. Um, um, we've, you know, in some markets, actually, you know, even brands are joining those those consortiums, um, you know, to add login data, et cetera. Um, and I think we'll see more partnerships um, uh, operating in that in that space. That's very interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that as well. Chris, I'd love to now just move on to 
the next part, like, because there's going to be publishers out there who's, who are saying, I didn't realize I can share my data to form partnerships and all this, all those great case studies that you mentioned. So let's, let's speak about the practical side and how they can use pri private data exchanges and, and, and everything we've spoken about to really make this work for them. So for publishers that, wh where do you see a publisher is ready to come to the point of actually being able to, to leverage private data exchanges? Yeah, definitely. So, so I think the first thing that a publisher, you know, because it's not for everyone. Um, so I think the first thing a publisher needs to do is actually look at uh, the risk reward against um, un uncoupling their, their inventory with their data. So I think that that's an internal sort of strategy that needs to be kind of thought about very, very hard. You know, well, where's that going to add the value to my business? Um, will that impact my own inventory sales? Um, are, are there certain verticals we're selling to and um, perhaps not, not other verticals? Um, you know, will, will they only sell this to brands? Will they sell this to brands and publishers? Uh, um, will they actually sell this and how will they package the data? You know, for instance, um, um, we have publishers that are packaging data. You know, if you buy X number of um, inventory from me, that releases, you know, a certain amount of my data that you can use elsewhere. So I think, first of all, they need, publishers need to look at that and content owners need, need to look at that risk reward and, and whether that's an area they want to play in. Once they've kind of made those decisions, then it's actually looking for how are they going to facilitate that from, uh, from one, a sales point of view and two, from uh, a technology point of view. So obviously from a sales point of view, this, because this is more customized, it does require sales, you know, a level of sales um, capabilities. Generally, publishers are using this with the, the same teams that are approaching agencies and, you know, bringing in business um, across their inventory. And then secondly, actually, who's the right partner to do this with? And you need to look at a number of areas. One is, what's the data flow? Am I reassured and confident that actually the data that's going through these plumbing, there's an element of um, protection on that data. There's an element of accountability on that data. Can this data be used without my knowledge, et cetera? Then also it's an element of actually how am I going to do the remuneration? How am I going to get paid for this? And how can I actually best, best plug into the buyer's uh, workflow? If you, if you plug into the buyer's workflow, um, you generally will sell more, more data because it's actually, again, you know, they're looking at, oh, I need to buy data. How's the easiest way I can buy data? Um, what's the less resource, uh, you know, resource efficient way that I can actually buy that data? Um, so once a number of questions answered, you know, they should really dig into any vendors that they're looking to, to do this with and actually tick off these questions um, uh, and those comfortability. Um, Lotomay's PDX product, you know, covers um, um, the full circle of um, data trading, not only from giving them tools to collect that data, mm -hmm. giving them tools to segment that data, giving them tools to actually present that data to buyers, but also giving them tools to uh, activate that data into, um, um, into the DSP channels, but also giving them tools to actually have that revenue collected and distributed as well as reported on fairly um, to those publishers and content owners. That's interesting. So Plus also giving them the tools, um, one thing I missed was giving them the tools to uh, uh, gain consent as well across that data, which is very important is having that consent up front on the use case of that data as well. It's perfect that you mentioned that. I was going to ask you, how does GDPR play on to this, particularly for European publishers? So 
I spoke with someone else back in the day as well, and they outlined how complex it can be because there's a lot of um, vendors that you work with. Like, there could be dozens of third-party cookie data and all those information that you need to actually set up correctly um, within your architecture. So, um, do you, does Lodomi address all that within its framework, or how does that work to make sure that everything's compliant with GDPR? So, so first of all, obviously, I, I think you need a combined framework. I think if data is moving, you know, in, into multiple areas, it, it's easier to track that if you're using um, a set of products that are fully compatible with each other and connected. Um, with the the consent piece, um, you know, I think what we've done is we've built um, a framework which we call our consent APIs, etc., that actually plugs into. Um, a wide range of, um, you know, market-leading um, consent management platforms. So I think the first thing, obviously, you need a consent management platform, which, um, you know, all European publishers will have today. So you need uh, a product that easy plugs into that. Um, from a publisher side, obviously, they need to be very transparent around uh, the use cases of that data, um, making sure that they are offering that consent um, framework. And it's about um, consumer choice. And, and there's been a lot in the market, you know, around cookies, first-party cookies, third-party cookies. But, you know, it, it is not necessarily about what the data has been stored against, whether it's a first-party, third-party, a mobile device ID, etc. It's about consent. So having that consent framework and actually collecting that consent on the use cases, then, um, then you know, publishers have got the reassurance that they're following um, legislation. Uh, and using that data in in a fair, transparent way to to earn revenue from it. And like likewise, on the other side, when um, whether it's a publisher, another publisher, or a brand buying that data, um, you know they are looking for for that type of consent framework. They're asking the questions to the publishers, so you know they need that information ready available when they're having those one-on-one -on -one conversations around um, how they comply in, um, with GDPR and you know move, moving forward in in America. With, with the legislation that's coming there in early January. Um, yeah. So, and I think it, it's hugely about transparency and it is about getting that consent on the data and having the right conversations with the with your customers uh, on the application of that data. Definitely, so we, we spoke about opportunity costs, then we spoke about consent management. From this is where, if, if, if everyone follows your advice and assuming we, you're set up and ready to go, and then you spoke just spoke about now more about attracting customers to to consider your data management data that you're offering. What can publishers do to help make that more attractive? What can they do within the data exchanges in order to potentially better sell or actually just do it effectively? And and what kind of case studies and and tactics do would you can you provide? Yeah, so we work with all of our contributors to the private data exchange in um, helping them, you know, create collateral around what, what are their audiences, what are their strengths, um, you know, what's the origin of the data. What's Is that actually sales decks and the actual physical collateral? Is that what you're referring to? So, yeah, so in, in, in part, yes, um, physical collateral that they can actually take out to, to the market, but also how they present that data and how they actually bring these, bring these segments together. Um, the, the whole nature of second-party data is that it 
it's a two-way communication of uh, requirements from the buyer and obviously delivering that segment. Um, you know, where third-party data exists, third-party data exists on a shelf. And generally, I, I look at that as like a supermarket. Anyone can come in and buy the same prepackaged type data. But really where the value of second-party data is having that conversation. So it's how can I present the value of my data, the strength behind my brand and audience, and why this data set is actually niche and um, um, fits the actual requirement for the campaign. So it's very much around conversations and it's very much generally sold very similar to how publishers would sell their imagery in direct deals today or private marketplaces. It's about really giving the insights behind the data set. So, you know, it might, might be that someone's buying an automotive data set, but they still want to know, okay, what's the gender uh, makeup of this audience? What's the age makeup of this audience? Um, so it's uh, giving tools to our customers to be able to present that data and tell a story behind that data, not only from a, a transparency and privacy point of view, but actually from an origin and how is the data collected and overall, what does my audience look like that visit, visit our properties? You could have two publishers that have very similar data in terms of these are both automotive publishers, but they might have a very different audience behind each of those each of those titles, whether that's from uh, a demographic point of view, from income or gender or, or age brackets, or or whether that's the type of uh, automotive content that that they generate. Is is this site about looking for used cars, or is this site? about looking at the latest um, high-end automotives and gadgets and stuff around those cars. Um, so not all data is created equally. And I think in the third-party ecosystem, it's very hard, to, um, or it's harder to try and look at that origin than, you know, is an automotive segment uh, different from another automotive segment. But with second-party data and actually getting that data from the origins, it's a great opportunity for publishers to present that value add on top of that data. What do you what do you see common mistakes that publishers make um, in actually trying to sell that and present that? Um, I know you, you spoke about quite a bit about um, the questions potentially you can ask and and also how to yeah I'd love to hear a bit more about the mistakes and maybe that can help us as well to do the opposite when they're actually trying to do this for the first time. Yeah, I guess um, common mistakes. Um, uh, I guess what publishers should should avoid to do is to make their segments too too general. You know, the the whole value for second party data is actually adding something different that the buyers are not getting from the third party ecosystem because you know buyers are still buying third party data. Um, so you've got to offer something um, a little bit more customized, a little bit more. And maybe niche isn't generally the word because you can still have large second party data sets, but you know what really what dig in and actually make it some differentiators on on that data whether that's using uh uh data science yeah actually uh generate different data sets across or or whether that's you know using user interactions on, on their site whether it's search boxes or functionality but to to add that value uh above and beyond third party data sets to really complement brands first party data um, and, and I think that's where publishers uh, should focus on in, in the second party data place versus I'm just going to create 40 segments that mimics, um, you know, data that's available, widely available in the, uh, in the ecosystem already. Have you seen like, uh, 
when you've coached publishers to take that approach, like just realistically, um, figuratively speaking, has there been like a big impact on getting more interest for their data, the second party data? And um, like, well, I'm not sure if you're involved much in the conversation or the negotiations, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see what made them change, like, yeah, the mindset to then come to them. So do, do you, have you seen, figuratively speaking, a big jump in interest from second party data if they, once they've tried to better tailor the segments? Yeah, so the questions we, we always get, well, how much is my data worth? Um, yeah. and a very difficult question to answer because, as I say, not all, all data is created equally. Not yeah. all publishers' brands are created equally you know um some publishers um you know if they sit in a very niche vertical where there's scarcity of that data you know that that data is going to sell very well um other publishers will need to work a little bit harder at um packaging that data and some of the advice we normally give is actually look all around your business um and, and external businesses um you know for instance you know we play a very big part in the third party data ecosystem so we kind of advise our customers you know what are the trends and you know what's what what what's hot at the moment? What are we seeing from the third-party data uh, world in terms of actually if you can align some segments around this and add that extra value, uh, and that could be seasonal as well. It, it, you know, it's not not a, a one set rule that you know that data needs to sit on the shelf for uh, one two years. Publishers need to keep updating those segments and be relevant, and um, whether that's sporting events, whether that's seasonality around Christmas or Halloween, etc. But, but also they should be speaking to their sales teams. Their sales teams are, are speaking to buyers every day about selling inventory and data package. What are they being asked for from the market? And why are businesses approaching them? And, you know, what's, what's making that successful and what people are after? And re really having to think uh, about that. But also actually, you know, sometimes going back to the basics and actually reviewing what you've got you know, what data you've got, you know, this is something that, you know, we, we work with our customers on in, in, in general for our, when we're working with them on the first party data and how they're monetizing that with, with campaigns, et cetera. So, exactly. so it's really looking at that and it's applying learnings and it's using, you know, tools to actually analyze that data and can they find little pockets of interest within their data sets, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, first party data, look at CRM, look at your analytics, audience analytics to just predict how people are going to be looking using uh, you consuming the content or campaigns before and then you can shape your data packages and offerings so i think that's a great way to uh, bundle that up so, um yeah and doing it at the right time as well you know it, it's no no good creating uh you know segments around halloween to to sell candy um a day before halloween you know the you, you've got to also fall in with the uh um, window of where brands are, are looking so it's getting ahead so it's understanding when you need to be creating certain segments if it's relevant to your brand etc um, you know looking at um, spend calendars etc um, you know when when are brands coming to the market for certain assets and actually are you strong in that area um, and, and that's another area I would say don't try and fit everything because um, that you know you've got to play to your strengths um, and you've got to play to the core of your content and your audience to actually um, uh, get add value. Um, you know, don't try to stretch your data into verticals that is not going to perform because that's not really what you're specialised at. That's why 
buyers are coming to you because you're a speciality in a certain um, certain area, you have the content and the audience that they're looking for, you won't fulfill every brief, for instance. What's generally the lead time the publishers need to consider? To, well, to... yeah, that's, you know, that's, diff you know, that's difficult to say. Um, you know, there's very different circumstances around and different types of events and stuff. But, of course, um, you know, they, they should be looking into their business internally and, you know, there's going to be interest around inventory and stuff and using that as a, as, as a key to, to actually, you know, have packages ready and creating, you know, again, where, where are advertising budgets spent, you know, Q4 advertising budgets are spent in Q3, for instance, for delivery. So, so, so it's using a little bit of common sense and it's using your own um, team's knowledge around um, um, agencies and brands when they're looking to, uh, looking to purchase and have media plans created. Um, and ask the, ask the, Ask the agencies, ask the planners, uh, you know, what, what's coming up, um, what do you need, you know, be, be active. It, it takes uh, an element of activity as well to take some of this stuff out to market. Yeah, it's, all, it's always important to ask them, uh, the agency or buyers, the right questions as well, so that you, you know that they're also having some common sense and using their experience to provide um, the best uh, outcome for, for publishers, I think. So... Uh, you're absolutely on top of that. Um, so, uh, with that, I guess it's interesting to see where we're going to be moving ahead. I, I know uh, PDX is, is fairly new, and um, there's going to be obviously a lot of uh, focus. And, like you said, there's focus around second party data. Do you think that there's going to be uh, the factor of voice or other data sources that might be more prominent in the years to come? Or where do you see things lying ahead? Yeah, so I, I, I think we're going to also start to see a trend. So obviously, you know, we're talking about publishers and content owners um, creating their own private data exchanges and attracting brands in. I think we're also going to start to see a trend of uh, brands actually creating um, their own sort of closed marketplaces where they go out and they actually source data to sit within a closed ecosystem on their side, you know, by invitation. Um, we want to have this data readily available within our own ecosystem. And, uh, you know, we want prices up front. We want the data to sit there and be readily available. So, you know, we're going to see large brands start to go out and source their own data sets as well. Um, but from, um, but from more from a, their own marketplace, rather than going out buying segment and segment for campaign and campaign at a time, they're going to go out and get different data sources. And it might not only be segments, it might be data sources for modeling, it might be data sources for insights, et cetera. So I think there's, there's a more opportunity as well for different applications for data in a second marketplace ecosystem. And we, um, you know, we're, we're seeing conversations around that with, with large brands and especially large FNCG um, companies actually, you know, getting their own stronghold of data um, with different use cases applied and pricing, et cetera, for, for, for these different applications of data. And, we, I, and I think that's going to be really interesting as well. Um, and, you know, we've even seen, you know, the start of conversations around brands working more closely together. So car hire brands working closely with flight um, booking systems and, um, and actually creating um, their own verticalized plays where they can um, co coexist and data to, to produce different different use cases uh, and different products of a, of a, a complementary nature as well. Nice. Uh, from the tech side, do you think AI is going to come into the foray? Or um... yeah, I see machine learning 
um, being applied across data. That's, that's quite common today. Um, it's generally done across the first and third party data, first party data for, you know, kind of the seeds, third party data for volume of background, um, um, background data. But, but I think, yes, I think, um, you know, sources of second party data is definitely going to start coming into that, that, that ecosystem. And whether that's been used for seed data, whether that's been used to get different uh, fill gaps within background data, whether that's territory-wise or, or whether that's um, uh, vertical-wise, you know, getting a huge set of different travel data for a large travel brand to, to, to apply machine, machine learning and data across those data sets, absolutely. No, definitely. Um, it's good that you classify the difference between them because obviously the application is going to be different. Um, and looking at Lodomy as well and looking at your plans for next year, can you uh, provide a bit more outline of what, you got, what you're going to be focusing on and yeah, what's going to excite you in 2020? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's something that we're always looking to advance our technology and, you know, keep it... Um, keep it relevant to not only market challenges, but how our customers can, uh, can take advantage of, um, you know, trends and stuff in the market. A big piece that we're working on at the moment is we, we call it identity. Um, and that's around, we, we, we're developing products, um, um, a cartographer product, for instance, which is looking at clustering of devices to, um, one, support the change in the ecosystem around, um, the use of uh, third-party versus first-party cookies, but also we're seeing, you know, TVs, TVs now connecting into, into the ecosystem and need to track and, you know, deliver data there. How can we actually cluster um, uh, signals, um, i.e. devices, into household individuals and devices? Again, you know, we're not, we're not talking about personal information, but we're talking about cluster, clusters of devices belonging to individuals rolling up to households, et cetera. One, for better analytics, but two, also to, to help the connectivity of devices. We're going to see an explosion of um, IDs. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've, we've, we've had a situation here with Safari, you know, for a long time, Firefox have just started to block third-party cookies by default with Chrome offering users' preferences. We're going to see a lot more IDs with the use of first-party cookies. By the nature of a first-party cookie, um, you know, it, it's very much locked to domains. You know, we're seeing browsers and operating systems getting very aggressive around the clear-out cookies, you know, deleting them on 24K, 24-hour cadence, seven-day cadence. So a lot of people look at the whole cookie the um, situation is, oh, I'm not going to have any data. I'm, you know, my data pools are going to dwindle. It's actually far from the truth. You're going to have an explosion of data, an explosion of IDs. And it's going to be very important about clustering those IDs together to be able to still make sense of that data, both for insights and analytics, but also targeting. Um, and as I mentioned, mentioned earlier, you know, it, for us, it's not about cookies and IDs. It's about consent. So if you have consent, and uh, users giving consent for certain usage of this data, then you know bringing those data together in kind of ID management, people management, people ID management is 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 very important, very exciting to us. Um, you know of products that we've got ready to lease by the end of this year and into early next year to manage that. Yeah, and, and like I'm, I'm assuming as well that the ID management products are still very much in their infancy across the market as well. 
So yeah, we we look at that, and there's different flavors, and you know, whenever new types of technology come to market, you know, there there's there is always a bit of a confusion around, you know, what do they do? What's the difference between them? Um, you know, go back to earlier in this year and late last year, the you know the the customer data platform versus DMP. You know, it took the market a little while to realize that there is actually different use cases for, for both both technologies and they sit well beside each other with uh, small amounts of overlap and functionality. And I think we're seeing with the ID space something a bit similar today as well. You know, there, there's people, people, people ID management is very different than unified IDs. Um, so it's how, how do you actually compare these products and these IDs um, actually for the applied use cases and whether actually going to gain the most value for your business. Um, um, Lotome, again, you know, a, a, as an independent player and, a, and an, o, an open player, um, you know, we see ourselves probably working with uh, multiples of these IDs, um, not only because we're supporting customers' preference or market, mar, market alignment against a certain ID over another, but also, um, you know, we, we see the value in actually combining different sets of identifiers to actually get the largest scope of identity um, using our own, um, you know, technology as well um, to actually build that people-based graph um, that, 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 that we're currently working on. Chris, and one personal final question, two parts. Uh, how, how do you think people can better learn and grasp a lot of our discussion today and just more about data exchanges, data management? And, and what's, what would be your career advice you'd give them in order to succeed in in this area and, and to eventually come to the position you are today? Yeah, I think um, people working in the industry or for customers selecting this type of technology? Uh, not professionals, just uh, people working in the industry. Okay, yeah, well, uh, you know, I've always had a, a very strong belief that it's okay to have an opinion and you should, should have your own opinions and you, you, sh you should voice them. But, you know, whatever you're doing as, as a person or as a business, as a group of people, or if, you know, if you're managing groups of people or managing regions like myself is, you know, always look at how one, how can I improve the industry? Um, how can I always be complementary of the industry and actually make my decisions, um, whether they're personal decisions or whether that's how I align the business in Europe to, to actually add value not only to your customers but to as an industry as a whole, um, and you know we're we're responsible for supporting the industry as well as the businesses that we're working for. Absolutely, um, and with that, thank you so much for your time, Chris. Really appreciate it. No problem. I've enjoyed um, I've enjoyed our conversation, and uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. Likewise. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.